pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu roupien. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Olá, minha gente. Do you know what that means? No? It's okay. Welcome back for another amazing episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if they've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around a table, and even which ingredients are overrated and underrated and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and all the platforms you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm david martins. Also, I want to mention that some interviews were recorded in a different microphone, so sometimes if the interview has a different audio, that's the reason. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if something doesn't sound exactly right, just smile and pretend that you understand. My guest today is a late bloomer in the food industry. Graduating with a political science degree in 1993, she decided to change careers and focus on and learn about the culinary world. So she attended the Academy de Cuisine in 2000. She's a four-time nominee for the James Beard Award for Best Chef in the Mid-Atlantic, owner of Centralina and Piccolina restaurants, where she brings the most fantastic and delicious Italian food to her customers in Washington, D.C. Amy Brenwine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying the day off, you know, nice sunny weather. That's good. Normally a Saturday, for those listening, this is a Saturday. Normally a chef having a day off on Saturday <laughs> takes time to acquire that one, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's yeah. very unusual. <laughs> uh, so two important questions that I think they're important. Uh, have you ever been to Portugal? No, I've always wanted to go, actually. I hear that it's a lot, my, but okay. It's, okay. <laughs> it's on my list for sure. No, it it looks amazing. It looks beautiful. I have not been to Portugal. It's all of that. I, yes. I haven't traveled as much as I want, so uh, it's hard, you know? I know. Yeah. Do you know any Portuguese words? No, I don't. It's okay. It's the, it's the <laughs> common answer, so it's, it's fine. I just always have this hope. So I know that on your daily routines, you... Do you have your staff rate their energy and moods after each shift? So yeah. I want to do that today with you. What's your current energy and mood level? Energy, I'd say it's about an eight. And mood level, I'd say about an eight. So oh, pretty perfect. Good. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back a little bit in time. Did you always uh, have a desire to work in the culinary world? Or was it something that emerged after you got your political science degree? Well, I always cooked when I was little, but, um, you know, in terms of having it be a profession, no, it was after school and I was working in another field and then it kind of, it just bit me. So it was a late decision. What made you take the jump to switch careers? Um, you know, I just really, uh, was not engaged in what I was doing. Like I was doing, I, I liked what I was doing, but I couldn't see myself 
doing it for another, you know, 20 years or so. And so I was like, well, you really, I love to cook. It seems really fun. And I never got sick of it. So I said, you know, the worst thing you can do is, you know, go to school for a year. And if you don't like it, at least you know how to cook. You know, I thought it's expensive, but Mm -hmm. worth it. So I did that and I ended up just really taking to it. You, your career started basically with Italian food, right? First restaurants you work at. Was it always a conscious choice to continue with Italian food when you opened your business? Or were there any discussions about other options? No, I mean, I really liked Italian food. I'm not Italian. Um, I just really, it feels like a, a real expression of my personality and how, what I value, which is, first of all, like fresh product and simplicity and beauty and simplicity. Um, I love the flavors. I love the people. I love the way that they, they feel about their food and the way they express themselves through food and all the stories that they tell through food. So no, I just, I just said, you know, I'm going to make it more um, oriented towards fresh food and products. And then, you know, mostly Italian, but it has, it has some influence from, sometimes it has influence from Asian a little bit here and there. So, but that's about it. Yeah. I was, I was very steadfast on pursuing, you know, the kind of same culinary themes that I've been working in. Mm -hmm. What's for you the greatest challenge of providing a good quality Italian food in U.S.? The greatest challenge, gosh, that's a really good question. Thank Um, you. I have to ask one good question, at least the whole thing. No, it is a good question. (laughs) There's so many different things to think about. The greatest challenge, I think, is, uh, you know, I think the biggest challenge is getting to the customers to getting customers in public to um, appreciate simplicity has been a long time thing of mine. You know, sometimes Italian, especially like in Michelin star restaurants in Italy, the food gets a little bit tortured, Mm -hmm. meaning like it doesn't resonate as well as it does when it's done in a less complicated fashion. So my, my um, hardest thing is getting people who are, you know, so called so-called foodies or food connoisseurs to appreciate beauty and simplicity. And it doesn't necessarily have to have all these jazzy things on it to mm-hmm. sing. And I think that's been a conversation I've been having with my customers since we started and luckily everybody got it, but I, that was my biggest hurdle that I consider my biggest hurdle in cooking. Okay. Where for you, where do you get your inspiration? I get my inspiration from kind of what I buy every week and what's around me. Like literally visually just, I look around and I see what's in the the cooler or I see, I don't know, something um, that's interesting. A lot of times I'll get inspiration or ideas from just watching techniques in other cultures, not Italian, but Mm -hmm. I will think to myself like, Oh, that's kind of neat. And then just take that idea and twist it in another way. So like I get some, a lot of ideas from, you know, say Japanese cuisine, like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go to a sushi place like I did in New York one time. And um, this master sushi chef, he was doing something with a, a leaf. I think it was a shisho leaf and putting the, he was smoking the sushi on top of the leaf. Yeah. So I thought that was fascinating. And then, you know, it came back to me like several weeks wait, later that I saw these fig leaves. And I decided to put, you know, burrata on the fig leaf and, and, and grill it. So it wasn't an immediate, like, uh, the ideas are never like immediately synced up, but I find myself that they reverberate some way in the future. Okay. Uh, it's my understanding that Picolina is a little more laid back, right? And Centralina is a little more high-end foods. Do you have that necessity for both worlds? In creative wise, do you need that just kind of just to balance everything out? Yeah. I mean... I don't think I need it creatively, but 
you know, there was a need for it business-wise. We had a lot of demand for sandwiches and a whole bunch of things that I couldn't, I was having a hard time doing all of it in Centralina the way it was organized. And so I felt we were limited by our space patterns and by the, the way the market was set up. And so when Picolina, the spot became available, it, we moved some things around operationally and, and um, as far as like it working out because um, I just felt like we weren't doing our casual food, like the way that it should be done. Like I the way I know I can do it and I've done it before. Um, so I do think that um, there's a beauty in both mm-hmm. uh, types of food. And I think um, it's really important to recognize that um, it doesn't have to be fine dining. It can be very um, casual food that is still very, very complicated in terms of recipes and, and execution. Um, I'm not sure everybody realizes that. So yeah. um, both of them are challenges. How do you, so the restaurants are in DC. How do you try to assure to your staff that represents DC, what are the challenges to provide a living wage in today's restaurant industry? And do you think your education in political science helped you achieve that or at least see the necessity for it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult, this uh, living wage in DC and, and for the hospitality industry. I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible to do this, meaning um, most people who are working in culinary that are working not as a manager, they're working two jobs to be able to, you know, survive in a normal way. And like, that is, that is ridiculous. I mean, if you think about it and, and it's been going on forever, as long as I've been cooking managers, they also are working a lot of hours because restaurants can't afford to pay super high salaries for very advanced staff without covering a certain amount of shifts. It's, it's very difficult. You know, I, I think it's a huge problem. Um, It speaks to sort of how, food is valued in, in our country. Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer for it. I, I do think that what, one thing I'll say is that the tip wage battle that was going on before I told people who were organized in it, that it wasn't that I was against changing the system. I was feeling like there wasn't enough debate and policy debate going on at the local level to make me feel confident that it was going to be implemented correctly. I didn't think there was enough protection for small businesses. I don't think that they had examined things. They had not economically uh, discussed things or advanced ideas on how to protect small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so I told the people who were involved in that, that I'm in principle for what you're saying, but as a policy matter right now, I don't think we're there yet. And I don't, I can't support it until I see that things have been discussed in an open forum with a lot of, a lot of study. So I think like maybe my policy background, my politics background was helpful in, in me being able to come to that conclusion, you know, that it's mm-hmm. not a principal thing. It's more of a implementation thing. So do you think we need to bring more people together and more awareness? Because it's funny because I think that's just a, a global issue, like especially when it comes to income, even back in Europe, you know, I'm from Portugal. And sometimes people have this kind of romantic idea that chefs, they make a lot of money and people work in the, in the kitchen, which is completely not true. I don't think right. it really matters where you live in the world. It's not a very well-paid industry. Do you foresee a, a 10-year plan? I mean, it's difficult to answer, of course, but you think basically you just have to bring more people together and more awareness for that to change? Um, yeah, I think that it, right now it's, it was a rush to get something done. That, you know, the minimum wage had to go up at some point. Right now, I think we're getting to a point where you're really, it's it's escalating to a point where very few businesses, especially casual businesses, 
casual restaurants, eateries, they will not be able to deal with this because you can't, I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Unless you're doing extremely high volume, like as in an extremely successful fast casual concept. So yeah, I think 10 years. Yeah. I think it's going to take some time. Yeah. I think it should, we need to figure this out for this industry because as we see, it's a massive employer and the entire economy is upside down right now. And all these people are out of work and you know, nobody seems to value what we do or they, they value it. They like to go out to eat, but they don't want to pay for it. Not what it really costs to give a livable wage. And then the government seems to, you know, there seems to be just the honest, always on the operator to try to figure this out and then demonize people who, you know, can't provide health insurance and, you know, can't pay somebody $25 an hour to work in a, in a, in an eatery, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just not appropriate. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, It's very difficult. It's very difficult. So for the last few years, the food industry has been very trendy. More people are following this path. Do you think the greater quantity of choices, restaurants, food trucks, et cetera, has led to better quality of food? Or do you think so many people entering the market has diluted quality? Um, I think it's it's improved quality. You know, I think the food has gotten much better because of all the different, you know, types of cuisine that are that everybody's out there cooking now. I think it's much better, much mm-hmm. better. How was for a lot of people listening? So I've been in DC for 10 years, roughly. And you grew up around here in Virginia, right? Correct. So for people that don't know what has changed in Washington, D.C. area for the last 15 years for you, what's the biggest difference in 15 years for you? In food? Yes. So um, the biggest difference is just the type of environments that, you know, the type of restaurants that were existing. Um, When I was coming up in the industry, which was almost exactly 20 years ago, there was uh, like four or five you know, the Washingtonian would come out with their top 100. They still do. And then it would be like four or five four-star restaurants. And then the rest of them were like two stars, you know, maybe a two and a half stars. But the vast quantity of excellent restaurants, I mean, most of the excellent restaurants were only these five four-star restaurants. So yeah. there wasn't a lot of great food being cooked at, meaning in a popular level, I should say. Yeah, so there was just a few handful of uh, truly, you know, kind of Hulk cuisine places. And then all the culinary uh, students that were in the area and everywhere else, they would all flock to these four or five restaurants. So it was really competitive to um, get a, a great job cooking in that time period. There wasn't a lot of really excellent, super trained chefs as, as there are now. And so uh, it was really competitive to get even a line cook job. You know, I mean, like mm-hmm. you were, you had people working for free to get these positions. Nowadays, that's completely changed. So there's a lot more restaurants, there's a lot more opportunity to learn. And that's all for the good, you know, but uh, it was European, meaning French, a little bit of Italian. And then, you know, the American food was usually kind of European style American food. Farm to table was just starting, meaning like when I started, we were working with farmers back then, it was like, there was only a few places that were doing this, like two, maybe two or three, and they would come by with tomatoes or things like that. And it was just a very much slower kind of pace. And, um, you know, I guess just the origins of the great food that happened in Washington happened, meaning I'm talking about through kind of James Beard type of things, that mm-hmm. kind of like super high end kind of food, it emanated through its through European food. And so yeah. now it's completely different. So yeah. 
and a lot of younger people getting involved, um, speaking their voice, and, and the culture is completely different too. So shifting a little bit to conversation, we're going for our round of questions that I ask every guest. What was your first memory of taste? <laughs> That's a good question. My first memory of taste. Um, well, I think my first memory of taste was probably, I don't know. I think, you know, one of <laughs> my first food memories was eating spaghetti with my mom. So I would have to say that was kind of my first real strong food memory. The most underrated ingredient for you? Oh, gosh. Um, I think anchovy. Okay. Overrated? Overrated. I'd say truffles. Not the first person that says that, actually. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> There's a whole gang about, against, against truffles. Um, <laughs> best breakfast ever, if you could choose. You mean for me to eat personally? Yes. I mean, ideally. Oh. Unless uh, you only drink coffee for breakfast and then, but... No, I really like like a beautiful toast and um, like kind of soft cooked eggs. That's my favorite. Just very simple. Nothing else. What is, I call the WTF combination. What's the strangest combination that you see? You've seen people doing it that you're just not on board. You're like, I can't. Oh, gosh. Strangest. Um, wow. You know, I do see these things, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, okay. So I just think that I don't, I, I really... It really bothers me when people put breadcrumbs on top of pasta. Um, unless You it's got very serious there. It really okay. bothers you. Yes, okay. <laughs> it does. I mean, I, I, spaghetti al olio, yes. You know, like maybe like, you know, bucatini with sardines, yes. But other than that, I feel there's no place for anything, any kind of breadcrumby thing on top of this pasta, which has been in vogue lately. I really, it really bothers me. For people listening out think, there, okay. I don't yeah. think it adds anything to the dish. And I think it, interferes with like a true expression of what pasta is so okay so the podcast i always ask the podcast question if you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes what do you think for you for your business in your life so far oh okay turning more chickens or breaking more, more dishes yeah i would see uh breaking dishes yeah uh, i like breaking dishes. okay what's your plans for the future you can talk you know we i call this segment basically the sell your fish. That's other Portuguese quote that means talk about yourself. Plans for the future, your restaurants, you can tell people, you know, your restaurants, your socials, your restaurant socials, where people can find you and all of that. Yeah. So uh, the future plans for the restaurant is, you know, I, I'd like to get out of this uh, current pandemic, you know, obviously. And, um, you know, we just renovated a few months ago before this pandemic hit, which was a huge thing for us. You know, My future plans are to get our uh, private venues going, using our, uh, using my chef's kitchen, creating a whole kind of dining experience there, which I'm doing, starting to do right now. Picolina, I want to see it grow and, and really get its uh, footing. It was just six months old when this whole thing basically started. So beyond that, I'd like to just keep growing my team. I don't know if it involves another restaurant. It does involve me being able to uh, grow my team in a stronger way so that I can assume different roles in my company, which sounds kind of boring, but I'd like to see myself do some more things that are not so much just uh, straight up expediting. And I'd like to do that in the next few years. That's kind of where I'm at, you know. Well, uh, Amy, thank you much. Thank you very much for your time. I know this is our crazy times and to bring a chef over, I know it's very difficult. For folks listening, go to her restaurants. They're very, very good. And thank you very much for your time. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. I love the title of your show too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Today, Embassy Chef's Corner is all about mushrooms. Do you know how to say mushrooms in Portuguese? I don't know as well. First thing to do when you buy mushrooms, it always comes with that plastic on top. The first thing to do is to open the plastic. Ideally, put in a brown paper bag and put in the coldest part of your fridge. Back in the days, people actually used to use pillowcases to store mushrooms in the fridge. The reason for that plastic to remove it is because it makes the mushrooms sweat. That's why people buy mushrooms and in two, three days, they're very slimy because it makes the mushrooms sweat. So open that. Never put mushrooms next to anything that has strong smells because mushrooms absorb all those flavors and smells. The stems of the mushrooms, you can leave it on, or if you want, you can put in a Ziploc bag and put it in the freezer. Next time you make pasta with mushrooms, add those stems to the water you cook your pasta and that gives you an extra taste. You can also use the stems that you have in the freezer to put in a pan with some oil or butter, chop some onions, garlic, some thyme, cook for about 10 minutes, add some stock, blend everything, and you have a nice creamy mushroom soup. You can also mince those stems, add some yogurt, some Parmesan cheese, put back on the mushroom, and you make stuffed mushrooms. When you saute mushrooms, never put salt at the beginning, because if you do that, all the water will come out from the mushrooms. And please don't do that, because instead of sauteing mushrooms, you're going to have a mushroom pho. To clean your mushrooms, never put in water. Don't forget, mushrooms are like a sponge. more you soak them in water, more that water will come out when you cook them. Use a paper towel and give a quick rub, and that's it. Don't use those brushes because you just look weird, okay? So I think that's enough talking about mushrooms. I want to thank you again for all the comments, reviews. If you haven't done that, you have no idea how important it is for me. If you can share, tell your friends about the podcast, subscribe, rate, and again, leave a review. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. If you want to ask me a question or leave a comment, you can send me an email at info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com or find me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes or on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. See you next time. Adios.